Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and uh, welcome to day one of reInvent. I hope you're all having a good day today. Uh, my name is Dave Cruley, and um, I'm a solution architect here at AWS, and I also manage a team of folks who are uh, dedicated to our GovCloud region. So basically, that means we spend a lot of time working with various customers, uh, helping them to architect and deploy workloads to the region. And uh, the session we're going to do today is called, Is AWS Right for Your Regulated Workload? So we're going to talk a little bit about um, you know, what GovCloud is, what makes it unique, what makes it different, what, what makes it a good, a good landing location for those kinds of workloads. And with me today, I have two other gentlemen that well, I'll be sharing the stage with. I have, um, first is Tom Gertis, who is the VP of Infrastructure with Johnson Controls Federal Systems. And then I also have Steve Porter, um, who is um, an engineering fellow with Raytheon Company. So they're going to come up and talk to you in a little bit about uh, some of the workloads that they've deployed to GovCloud and the rationale for, for why they made those choices. So they'll be uh, coming up here shortly. So without further ado, um, let's, oh, the clicker's not working. <laughs> okay, we'll just do it this way. Okay, so, um, so let's talk about uh, first kind of just making sure to level set everybody. I don't know what everybody's experience level with AWS is, but what, uh, when we talk about what GovCloud is, GovCloud is what's called an Amazon region. And a region is really nothing more than a geographical area where we locate our infrastructure. infrastructure. And inside these regions, we have something called an availability zone. An availability zone is, um, is, a, is a discrete data center that has redundant uh, networking, power, internet connectivity, and they're in separate facilities. So we have multiple data centers within a geographical area, and that makes up a region. So GovCloud is one of 16 current AWS regions uh, located across the country, and it's located in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. Okay. So, as I said, it's, in the, it's a region, it's, it's one of 16 in the, uh, around the world. Uh, it's located in the Pacific Northwest. So, GovCloud came about because we had a bunch of customers, uh, several customers who actually approached Amazon and said, hey, you know, we really like this cloud thing, and we really have some good use cases where we could make really good use of that infrastructure. But it just so happens that uh, in the um, environments we work in, we have some really strict compliance requirements we have to meet. And while we really think this cloud thing is a good idea, we'd really rather not go to jail for using it. So, um, so you know, with that, you know, AWS um, took that and, uh, you know, they went back and they, uh, they built a region where uh, customers that have, that work in very heavily regulated um, environments can actually deploy and use uh, cloud technology. So from that GovCloud was born. So, so with that, you know, so when we start to talk about, well, then who uses GovCloud? You know, who are those customers that use GovCloud? I'm going to give up on the clicker. Um, um, so actually, one more thing I want to say here. GovCloud currently, as I said, is one region in the um, uh, North, um, Pacific Northwest of the U.S., and it's a single region. But what we've announced earlier this year is there is a second GovCloud called GovCloud East, which is a second region that's going to come online in uh, 2018, which will then allow you to have one region on the East Coast, West Coast for disaster recovery and failover and that sort of thing. And when, once that does come online, there will be much rejoicing among the uh, GovCloud user community because it's been probably the most requested feature um, that we've had over the last couple of years. So GovCloud, will be, uh, GovCloud East will be a very welcome site when it actually arrives next year. So, we talk about um, who actually uses this environment. GovCloud has an interesting name, GovCloud, which gives a lot of people the, um, the idea that it is for government agencies and government agencies only. Uh, and that would, be, that would be the incorrect part of that statement. While it is definitely for GovCloud, uh, for government agencies, it actually has many other customers in there. We have a very diverse user community within, within GovCloud, uh, and they're all in there for, for various reasons for the, for the compliance requirements that they have to meet. But, We'll go into that in a little bit more detail here. So who are these, so who are these customers? So, um, you know, yes, there's actually absolutely a lot of government entities that actually use GovCloud, whether they're federal, state, local. You know, they, they do actually heavily use GovCloud. They actually do, but the opposite is true. Just because they're a government agency doesn't mean they have to use GovCloud. They actually uh, have the option, depending on what kind of workloads they're deploying, they can use our commercial regions as well. And we'll talk a little bit about this a little bit later as to how you pick. You know, where, how do you know whether you have to be in a commercial region or you have to be in GovCloud? But um, in addition to the, the government entities that are in there, 
We also have, you know, like educational institutions, nonprofits, and uh, research organizations that are doing work with highly sensitive data where they have to meet various compliance requirements where they need an environment like GovCloud. So we have those kinds of customers in there as well. Then we also have a lot of commercial entities. So companies that work in very heavily regulated um, industries such as aerospace, defense, energy, medical, uh, criminal justice, those kinds of areas uh, where they have to, um, they, they are, um, they have more stringent compliance requirements. So they're in there as well. And then the last category is kind of the the consulting companies, the technology providers, and the managed service providers that support the customer base that's actually in regions. They build, manage, run, and provide technology to support the customers in regions. So a very, very wide group of uh, customers inside the region. So what, what makes uh, GovCloud unique is that it is the, is the environment within the AWS infrastructure that is best designed and the best fit for handling controlled unclassified information or CUI. So, and I'll put the emphasis on unclassified. GovCloud is definitely not for classified um, uh, workloads. If you need that kind of thing, we have, the, you know, we have elsewhere, we have that kind of um, infrastructure, but that is definitely not GovCloud. So it's un unclassified information, but uh, it's, it encompasses a wide variety of types of information. So it could be very highly sensitive, personally identifiable, information or PII, it could be criminal justice data, it could be nuclear data, it could be taxpayer data, law enforcement, whatever. Um, there's a lot of different kinds of, of CUI and GovCloud is the environment we have that, uh, that can house all that information. So what makes um, GovCloud truly unique to, to be able to handle this kind of data is its compliance posture. Um, so in a general sense, and you'll probably hear me say this a couple times, um, Amazon regions are Amazon regions. We kind of operationally manage them the same, whether it's GovCloud or one of our commercial regions. We kind of run them the same. But, um, but they do have um, very unique characteristics. GovCloud in particular has some unique characteristics in terms of uh, its compliance posture. So it is the only environment within AWS that is certified for International Traffic and Arms Regulations, or ITAR, for FedRAMP High. Uh, workloads for CGIS workloads and um, uh, for you know if you have to meet DFARS compliance regulations those kinds of uh, those kinds of compliance requirements are only met within GovCloud. However, as I said, we do tend to run the environments the same. So um, uh, if you have other uh, more commercially focused compliance requirements that you have to meet, whether that's HIPAA or PCI or ISO or those kinds of things. Uh, we actually do audit the GovCloud environment against those as well. So you can actually meet those in there as well. So regardless of whether you have very specialized requirements or you have general, general broad commercial compliance requirements you have to meet, GovCloud is, uh, GovCloud is able to, to meet them. So, so that leads to the question now, and that's actually kind of one of the key aspects of the session is to decide do I use GovCloud to GovCloud or not to GovCloud? Which one should I pick? Do I have to use GovCloud? Should, could I maybe use GovCloud? Or should, I, or should I actually move my workload into a commercial region? How do, you, how do you make that decision? So there's a couple things to think about. So the first one is, and this is, this is one that's a, is a very big differentiator for GovCloud, is do you actually have requirements for having US citizens on US soil manage, your, uh, manage the infrastructure that you're running on? And, we have, a, we have a, quite a few customers that have that as a requirement. Uh, or do, and also, do you have to be in a community cloud that has vetted account holders, meaning not everybody can get a GovCloud account. There are requirements to get a GovCloud account. So you have to be a US person. You actually, the, if your company has to be a US, US entity on US soil, and um, you actually also then also have to be not uh, banned from handling export control data. So we actually do vet all the account holders. So it's not just an automatic, you sign up, you get an account. We actually have to vet you. So if, if you have either requirements for those things, then GovCloud is really the only infrastructure, uh, the only region that we have that provides infrastructure that will meet those requirements. So if that's what you have to have, then GovCloud is definitely the place you need to be. On the other hand, um, as I said, we tend to run our um, environments, uh, manage them operationally very similarly. So if you have requirements for more commercially, uh, you know, more commercial compliance uh, standards such as PCI, HIPAA, 
or even stuff like FedRAMP moderate. Uh, all of our regions in the US are actually accredited at the FedRAMP moderate level. So if you have FedRAMP moderate, you can run that in GovCloud. If you have FedRAMP high, you're going to have to run that in GovCloud. But for FedRAMP moderate, you have the choice. You can either run it, you can either run it in, in GovCloud, or you can run it in one of our AWS commercial regions in the US, and the similar with HIPAA. PCI, SOC, those kinds of things. So you actually have a choice there. You can run it in one or the other, and you can choose based on customer preference, uh, or it could be just what else you have to integrate with. If you're integrating with other infrastructure in GovCloud, that might be easier. We'll talk about that in a little bit more detail in a few minutes, but um, you, got, you basically have the choice. You can choose one or the other. But then if you do actually need ITAR, FedRAMP High, DOD, SRG, Level 4 and 5, CGIS, those kinds of... Um, those kinds of compliance requirements. And again, GovCloud is the place where you're gonna to have to go because there is not really a good way to, to meet that compliance bar in our commercial region. So you're, you're pretty much going to GovCloud there. So those are kind of some of the, you know, the compliance discussions you have to have when deciding what to, um, which way to go. So once you kind of make the decision of whether you're gonna use GovCloud, you're gonna use a commercial region or both, uh, there's a few technical considerations to think about when it comes to GovCloud. It's, as I said, it's very similar to other regions by design. However, um, there are some differences. So, but you know, there is a, if you go to our public website, you can find a GovCloud user guide, which actually goes through and says, here's all the services that are in region today. And here are all the differences for those services that are in, for those services that are actually deployed within the region. Here are the deltas between what's happening in the, you know, the commercial region versus what's hap happening in GovCloud. And, in, and the other thing to, um, understand is that the security posture between GovCloud and our um, commercial regions is the same. Compliance posture is very different, but um, you know, at AWS, security is kind of job zero for us. So we try to make all of our regions hit the highest possible security bar. So GovCloud versus uh, a commercial region, you know, you're not, there's not one that's more inherently more secure than the other. Um, it's really, it's more of a compliance question. Um, but on the other hand, there are some differences to be aware of. So if you, one, one big example is, is if you're using VPN, if you're using VPN, end, our VPN endpoints to connect to the region, um, we use FIPS validated hardware in GovCloud. The commercial regions do not do that. And because of that, they, offer, they operate differently. The commercial regions use a more software-centric VPN solution. GovCloud uses a hardware-centric one. So when you're, doing, when you're doing that, they just operate and they scale a little bit differently. The way that you actually have to plan, if you're t connecting lots of VPNs, you're trying to really scale that out, the way you do that in GovCloud is just a little bit different than how you do that in the commercial regions. And um, our service endpoints for if you want to invoke you know, our API endpoints for EC2 or S3 or Lambda or whatever you want to use, um, those service endpoints are also FIPS validated in GovCloud. Um, and then the other thing to think about is that the, when you're architecting your system, especially if you're trying to deploy in GovCloud as well as in a commercial region, um, service availability and feature avail availability can impact your architecture. So a good example of that is Route 53, our DNS service. So if you're resolving DNS addresses from the outside world in, you can resolve addresses to our public endpoints in GovCloud and our commercial regions just fine. But when you go inside, when you're using internal DNS inside your virtual private cloud environment within um, AWS, in our commercial regions, Route 53 is available in GovCloud today, it's not. So you actually have to bring your own DNS um, to GovCloud. So you want to make sure that you don't build something that's dependent on uh, a feature that's not available in both environments. So it's just something to be aware of. And again, our, our um, user guide does a pretty good job of spelling out which services are in, which services are out, and what the feature delta is. And then the other thing to, to bear in mind with GovCloud is that it's an isolated region. So the way that it gets the compliance posture that it gets is that it is isolated from the other regions. It's not air-gapped, there's connectivity between them, but it is not actually isolated from, but it is not air-gapped from the other regions. So, you, so that actually has some interesting side effects to it. So it is isolated uh, largely for ITAR compliance reasons, so you can't easily copy data out of the region because there, there are penalties and there are, there are bad things that happen to you if you do that, so you don't really want to do that. And so we, we have um, disabled by design the ability to copy things in and out of the region 
uh, with our services, uh, you know, as a push button thing in the console like you can in the commercial region. So things like AMI copy, S3 bucket copy don't work from commercial to GovCloud or GovCloud to commercial by design. So you can get around that. There are ways to work around it. There are utilities. There are third-party tools you can build around it. There are lots of ways to, to, to work that if that's what you need to do, but it is not enabled out of the box. And um, also, the, um, uh, between GovCloud and um, our commercial regions, you get a separate account, you get a separate, you get a separate set of credentials too and a separate console. So that um, also makes it so that if you're trying to use services like um, our simple queuing service, simple notification service, uh, one of those that you would normally be able to, to use to communicate cross-region, uh, those are not going to work out of the box with GovCloud because it's a separate set of credentials. So it's not going to be able to interoperate. Again, there are ways to work around that. But um, it's something to be aware of out of the box. Um, it's not going to just function like it does in the commercial regions. Um, and then that also has its uh, impacts to things like cross-region replicas and things like that. It's not going to work. You're not going to be able to do a cross-region replica from US East to GovCloud. When we actually launch our second GovCloud region uh, next year, the, these features will work from GovCloud to GovCloud. Uh, that, is the, that is the expectation, but from a commercial region to GovCloud, that is disabled by design for compliance reasons. So it's just something to be aware of. And then the last thing I actually want to talk about here before I hand things over to um, Tom and Steve is uh, the idea of integration requirements. So do you actually have to do integration between regions? Uh, you know, and and how, what, what do you want to think about there? So if, it's, you know, if, if it comes down to, hey, my customer's in GovCloud, or, or the, in, the infrastructure I have to integrate is in GovCloud, then I want to build in GovCloud. Or if it's in the commercial region, then I want to build in the commercial region if I have a choice. Um, that's, that's pretty simple. But if you actually have a, you have a split scenario where I have some, some assets in GovCloud, some assets in a commercial region, now I've got a different set of questions to ask. Um, one approach is you can deploy two instances, one in GovCloud, one in, uh, one in the commercial region. And that works fine. Um, it just does mean you have the additional overhead of maintaining two instances, uh, which you know, a lot of that you can overcome with automation to make that easier. It also means from a compliance standpoint, you may actually have to have multiple authorities to operate. You may have to get you know, two different systems accredited at two different levels um, in order to, um, to be in production. And then um, the other option you have is, well, I can say, OK, I don't want to ma manage two instances. I'd really just rather build in one or the other. And um, that works from, from the standpoint of only having one instance to manage, but for some of the things I mentioned earlier around it being an isolated region and you can't, uh, you know, you can't copy things easily back and forth, um, you, do have to, you do have to look for that. And then you also have to be careful of your compliance boundaries. So if you're working with a system that has uh, ITAR requirements or a FedRAMP high uh, posture, and then you're actually then exploding your boundary out to a commercial region. Now you have now you have you've exploded your compliance boundary. Now you have to deal with that as well. So that's something to something to be aware of. And then, um, as I said, the cross-region uh, service integration is an issue. Um, for, you know, from the from the infrastructure level. However. Um, what a lot of customers do when they actually do have to go across regions is um, at the application level, we don't put any restrictions on there. You can do whatever you want. You know, so if you want your applications to talk to each other between GovCloud and a commercial region and you don't have ITAR requirements or you're, you, you know, you, it's on you to make sure that you don't leak any, you know, if you have ITAR requirements, you don't leak ITAR data or you, if you're, you're FedRAMP high, you're not messing up your compliance boundary there. That's on you as a customer to figure out. But, um, but you know, things like, you can create VPNs from region to region and communicate. Your applications can, can communicate back and forth. You can replicate databases, you know, database systems back and forth. All that kind of stuff works from an application perspective. We just disable it at the infrastructure level. So that, that kind of integration will work just fine. So that's really kind of the, you know, the, kind of the overlay of what GovCloud is, you know, why you'd pick GovCloud versus a, a commercial region. And if you, you know, working with GovCloud, you know, its unique compliance posture actually does give you the ability to shorten your ATO timeline because it actually does have a higher compliance posture. You, know, you have a, a different addressable customer base, so you can actually, to work with customers in GovCloud, you typically have to be in there. So you know, if you're working, if you're actually deployed in that environment, you have a bigger addressable market, it makes compliance management a little easier. And you, know, you get access to a lot more you know, customer base if you're working with government shared services, that sort of thing. So that's, um, that's kind of the basics around GovCloud. So now what I want to do 
is change gears here a little bit, and I'm going to have Tom Gertis come up, and he's going to talk to you a little bit about the work he's been doing at Johnson Controls, and um, and then we'll and Steve's going to talk to us about what he's been doing at Raytheon. So Tom, take it away. All right. Um, thank you, David, and for the attendees, thank you for allocating time on your schedule. Uh, appreciate your time and your attendance here. As David said, my name is Tom Gertis. I'm the Vice President of Information and Technology for Johnson Controls Federal Systems. Uh, we're an owned subsidiary of Johnson Controls International. Uh, I've got responsibility within our federal business for full-scale IT infrastructure applications, cybersecurity. Um, so that's, uh, that's a bit about myself. Uh, as we go forward and take a look at uh, a bit of the backstory that, that brought us along our journey, uh, first off, we have a, a merger of Johnson Controls and Tyco that was completed in September uh, of 2016. And what that did is brought together a global diversified technology company to leader in building uh, and power solution markets. Uh, so a lot of the HVAC equipment, the control panels here, and the batteries in most of our cars are made by Johnson Controls. Uh, with that merger, our, our headquarters moved from the United States to Cork, Ireland. Uh, so this put us in a position where work we were doing with the government that either required access to classified material or was on classified contracts was no longer permissible uh, because of foreign ownership, control, or influence. So through that merger, we were deemed to be uh, a foci company uh, because of that foreign control and ownership. So we had to create a brand new mitigation structure. Uh, and that really means a lot for us from a technology perspective. We have to run a completely separate stack when it comes to our network, infrastructure, end user computer support, uh, all of the components around the applications that we run and we manage, as well as the complete cybersecurity program. Uh, in addition, we also brought into that a new set of compliance requirements. Beyond the normal stuff we would see with NIST 853, NIST 800171, uh, as well as uh, a lot of the other components for FISMA moderate and even some aspects of our business FISMA high compliance, uh, we're now under the, governing, the governance of the DSS, uh, uh, Defense Security S Service. Uh, with that, we have a whole other level of compliance obligations that as an organization we have to meet every day and can be audited by the government for that compliance. So that takes us a little bit to why did we go down a journey to start doing some work on AWS GovCloud uh, versus staying more on a commercial base or sticking with on-premise solutions that we already had. First, as we talked about, was compliance. Uh, in addition to NIST 800-171, taking a look at what we had to do with NIST 853, uh, ITAR compliance was a component for our business. We manufacture large chillers that go on naval vessels uh, for the U.S. government, and those have a pretty significant ITAR footprint. Uh, and we also have now the DSS mitigation agreements, uh, so with that, the big ones for us are called uh, a uh, electronic communications plan. So we have to meet uh, a large number of control frameworks around the level of communication and what we have to track between Johnson Control Federal Systems and our affiliate companies. Uh, we also have to have in place a technology control plan that looks at how do we manage all of the changes. And then finally, we've got uh, an additional agreement with the DSS uh, which is our security control agreement. That's really what binds our company and how we operate, defines a separate board structure for governance. And in that, it's stipulated that we have to run a separate IT organization. And with that, we to look and said, because of ITAR, a potential desire to move towards FISMA high, uh, as well as the broader NIST compliance requirements, GovCloud was the right choice for us. Uh, as we get into Q&A, we'll talk. We do have some commercial services we utilize, uh, but that's more for disaster recovery uh, after we scrub out ITAR data so that we have some resiliency in our business. Once GovCloud East comes online, then we'll use that native capability. Uh, speed was a big component. We had an internal time clock uh, to get our mitigation structure set up as quickly as possible. So going to build separate stacks and separate applications with a traditional on-premise or hosted colo facility uh, would take us at least six to eight months from the ordering, the specking, uh, getting all of the elevation diagrams done uh, was something that was going to be a challenge. And we had uncertainty around how quickly we were going to need to scale the business as we were bringing two separate organizations together. So we wanted a platform that would allow us to scale both up and down more dynamically than putting in place a more fixed footprint, either within our own walls or at a co-location facility. Uh, and then finally, we wanted to look at ways we could improve access, both in terms of connectivity directly into the service through our own internal network, but also providing opportunities for our employee base to access services on AWS GovCloud without having to come back through a VPN connection or being on site, uh, in essence, using an extranet address that we could still utilize the services and the capabilities. 
So those were the, the big drivers. Um, we've got a, a couple assets that were the core foundation of what we built out. Uh, so using uh, EC2 as a core component, uh, along with just uh, simple storage, uh, and then AW, uh, sorry, RDS in terms of our data storage. Uh, and Direct Connect was a big component we put in place. Um, from our direct network, we've got a direct pipe in, meets all the FIPS compliance standards that you would traditionally see. We also have allowed our DMVPN network to connect into AWS. Uh, so we actually have two sets of, of access mechanisms for our standard user community. Uh, and then we still maintain a, a third level if we need that. So we've got a number of redundant ways we can get into the service. Uh, we've used SNS, uh, AWS Certificate Manager, so we can start looking at uh, information. And then CloudTrail and Amazon CloudWatch, pretty standard items. Uh, but we have all that information so we can start to look at what monitoring events that we need to trigger, what alerts we can pull in. And that gives us some information we're going to start pulling down across our stack uh, to integrate into our cybersecurity applications as well as our event monitoring tools that we use as an enterprise. Uh, and then finally, uh, our elastic load balancing as we look at how we run our HTTP and HTTPS traffic in and as we scale more internal balancing across the, the scope of, of what we have in place. Uh, so a little about where we are today. Uh, from a compliance perspective, we've achieved our standards within the stack for ITAR, uh, FedRAMP, and when we look at our overall capability, uh, we're well above 90% to 95% on the way for full compliance with NIST 800-171 across our entire IT stack, uh, inclusive of AWS GovCloud. Uh, as I talked about, we're integrating our logs, basically generating syslogs and pulling those into a Cisco cybersecurity stack. So we include that along with all of our other capabilities from a monitoring perspective uh, and able to see that inside of the seam. Uh, and then we've got some capabilities we put in place for disaster recovery. We'll basically do an Oracle pump, put that data then into an AWS commercial environment, and we could take basically our build out of the environment uh, and within four hours set up a a commercial-based environment that mimics our ERP platform, and I'll talk a bit about what those are. Uh, speed was a big component for us. We went from zero AWS GovCloud footprint to a live ERP platform in two months, uh, and that included an upgrade of the ERP platform on the AWS environment. So we went from zero to dev to test to production uh, in two months with full connectivity, and then have started to iterate on top of that. Uh, and in that, we were also able to improve our application performance and provide more scale for our business and we've since deployed that to uh, an additional volume of our organization. Uh, what do we have running? We put on that stack Deltec cost point for those who service the government, especially in the service position. Uh, we also have Deltec shot floor time, time and expense, and we've integrated RF Gen as well as time clock hardware and service solutions into that stack. So we're at a manufacturing facility. Our time clocks actually connect into AWS GovCloud and run all their services then within that stack all the way through the connectivity into our ERP platform. Uh, and then from an access perspective, uh, we did set up the direct connection. We still have a physical footprint in a colo facility. Uh, so that's got our direct pipe that we have with AWS. Uh, that also gave us improved remote and mobile access by push, pushing out an external URL. So in our particular use case, time entry is a big item that employees are traveling or they're on the road. Uh, so without a VPN connection, we can just go to an external HTTPS site, have a secure connection in, and be able to do time entry. Uh, and we'll eventually start to look to push more and more of our applications to be just addressable via extranet and still utilize the capabilities of AWS, really virtualize that back end. So even the traffic that you get from a DNS lookup inside of AWS, you're not going to understand where that goes. So we don't see risk with DDoS or attacks or other things like that, which for us is a real big benefit and gets us out of the physical presence and VPN re requirements that we have today. And then finally for our stack, we put in AD authenticated single sign-on. So as our users access our applications, uh, we're utilizing our AD credentials. So from a security and account access, if we disable an AD account, the next login will knock that out. Uh, and we'd love to move towards SAML 2.0 someday and see that as part of a, a broader capability, but, but that's where we're at today. Um, where we're going in the future, um, we continue to take a look at uh, additional extension into how we can think about event monitoring and automating a lot of those responses. Uh, and we're going to likely move towards a ServiceNow footprint, so making sure we see that integration, how we can flow that information into the organization. Uh, we're looking at how we can utilize VM opportunities, both for an engineering team that does some pretty specific engineering work on virtual machines, as well as just for end user experience, uh, where we can virtualize that data. And that gets important. A lot of our work is starting to move to ACONUS or outside the continental United States. So we're going to have a lot of access requirements to have 
U.S. persons accessing our systems but off U.S. soil. And so ways in which we can meet a high compliance standard and enable that capability and then eventually deploy that to all of our users. So if you're traveling without your work device uh, or if you're traveling internationally, we could use a Chromebook or something like that that has a very thin profile and our data is never going to be resident on that device when we have international travel, which is a great opportunity for us. Uh, and then eventually we've got devices installed at government facilities that collect a tremendous amount of data. We don't get any of that information back. And so looking at how we have opportunities for Internet of Things and connecting those devices and pulling that data in so we can do analytics and look at that information to provide additional service opportunities with our government customer. Uh, so that's a little bit of where we're going and, and what we're doing. I'm sure we'll talk about that more with questions. Uh, but next I'd like to bring Steve up who's going to talk a little bit about his experience with Raytheon. Thank you. Thank you, Tom. Uh, good afternoon. My name is Steve Porter. Uh, I work for Raytheon uh, Intelligence and Information Systems, and I am a uh, systems engineer. And our journey to, uh, to AWS is, is uh, uh, in many ways, uh, similar to Tom's, but with uh, quite different goals. Um, thank you for being here. Last year when we had this session, it was about half the people. Uh, it was a smaller room. And we, talk, we were talking, spent a lot of time talking about what GovCloud is. And this year we're talking about how we've been successful in doing uh, real production uh, and, and business type work using GovCloud. So it's exciting. And it's exciting to see the, the rapid growth. Um, so our journey has been Again, it's been about compliance and speed. Um, and in our case, it's about improving our product quality, uh, particularly of our software. And uh, uh, we, we write software for very large uh, integrated uh, systems that are deployed all throughout the world. And, uh, and, and our software suites are very, very large uh, and take a lot of resources. So you get to the point where you just can't scale your data center anymore. You're out of cooling, you're out of power, you can't turn equipment fast enough, you can't build environments fast enough. And so we started looking for other ways. Um, because of some of our, our regulatory um, uh, needs, uh, we were really, GovCloud was one of the few options that we really had. Uh, we had FedRAMP requirements, we had NIST requirements, we have ITAR requirements, just to name a few. And, and so uh, uh, GovCloud was really the, the logical place for us to go. Um, the use case I'm going to talk about today, uh, there's, there's many use cases uh, th that we could talk about. The one I chose to talk about today is, is about automated software test. Uh, so we're using GovCloud to, to test uh, very large uh, uh, software systems um, to do functional testing in particular. Uh, some of these uh, Tests that we run require you know, 30, 40, 50 nodes uh, to be stood up at one time just to, just to run a test. Um, and, and of course, you always desire to run against you know, production-like environments that are, that are clean every time. Uh, where we were was, was a very manual process of, of reconfiguring you know, uh, servers and, and, and storage, even in a virtualized environment. So, so GovCloud gave us a solution of being able to uh, very rapidly uh, instantiate these target environments. Um, it gave us the ability to, to uh, turn up our continuous integration pipelines uh, and test against production-like environments. So I like to talk about continuous automation, um, and, and GovCloud enables that for us. So continuous automation is all about repeatability, consistency, and velocity. And, and I maintain that if you do the first two well, a byproduct of that is, is, is velocity. So repeatability is I run it, you know, I, I can automate the, the running of that every time. I can, I can run the script over and over again, right? Consistency means that when I do that, I get the exact same results every time. Um, and, and so you apply that, to that, infra, that uh, infrastructure as code uh, to the instantiation of these test environments. And, and so the, API, the service APIs are, are fantastic for that. Uh, in GovCloud. Um, 
We can automate those in such a way that, uh, that we get the exact same environments every time. You know, some of the things that, that, that kill that, you know, that, that, that presented challenges, particularly when you're talking about uh, data center environments, are, are you end up with these snowflake configurations because you don't really want to build the whole thing again. Um, uh, you just want to kind of build the pieces that you need to build. And, uh, and so here we don't have to do that because we can turn these environments so much faster. You end up with, with this environment sprawl where you're just always building another, another, another environment um, because you just can't afford to tear down the one you just built, but you need another one for, for the next test. Um, so again, we, when, when we can just instantiate a whole new test suite in about 15 minutes, um, there's no need to, keep, to hang on to all these, all these environments, which ultimately lowers you know, the amount of time, the amount of uh, administration time it takes to maintain those and, and the maintenance tail associated with each of those environments. So this is super, super high level but, uh, of our process, but, but, but basically everything is coded. Um, you know, if it's worth doing, it's worth coding. And, uh, and so we have our, our, our software code that, that, that we develop. We also have our infrastructure code that we develop that stands up the, the workloads. And then we have our provisioning software that, that provisions the AWS services. Uh, in our case, we, we use Chef to stand up to, to manage our workloads, our, our host workloads, and we use Terraform to build out our, our AWS, uh, uh, provision our AWS services. As was mentioned earlier, when you're in GovCloud, you've only got a small set of services uh, to, to, to work with. Um, in, our, in our case, uh, uh, a year ago when we started this, we basically had EC2s, we had EBS storage, S3 storage, um, uh, VPC, you know, and authentication. And, and that's what we had, those are the pieces we had to build from. Um, we had probably about 200 different workloads that defined workloads. Um, and so, so what we did was, you know, we, we, we had Chef already to build our, our that build our, our, our server from the OS up. Uh, so we created our AMI repo that's got just one of every, every node type in it. And, uh, and since it's all coded, since all those AMIs are built from Chef, uh, you know, we can blow away any one of those AMIs at any time. Anytime something changes, we just replace the AMI. Um, and so then we use those, we have an automated pipeline that deploys, that, that, that will build a fresh VPC, build the network, Instantiate the, the AMIs, um, build our deploys our EC2s. Uh, the server comes up, checks in with the Chef server, and builds out whatever the rest of that node is, is supposed to be. Uh, it's all it's all controlled through a, through a Jenkins automated pipeline, and so next thing Jenkins will deploy the code that's that's under test. At the end, it collects all the results, sends it back to the developer, and destroys the environment. Um, at any one time, we'll have 25 to 30 environments running. Uh, environment lasts, uh, will we'll be up and running for an hour or two. So, you know, over the course of a day, that, that's, that's a lot of environments. So some of the results that we've seen are, 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 are really dramatic, and, and, and this is sort of an aggregation of, across multiple programs. Uh, but, but you start to see, you know, where early on, you, you, like, people weren't doing unit tests on every change, you know. Now every change is unit tested. Um, and, and when you deploy it on GovCloud, deploying on GovCloud allows us to stand up a fresh environment for every time. So instead of it taking 80 hours to stand up or, or configure environment, that, that at best is, 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 is sort of built, built just, to, just enough to do the test. It's not a clean environment. Um, to every time, every test, every day is a clean environment. So we went from 80 hours down to, takes about an hour to stand up in an environment and run a full test. And then, and then you know, before you could really afford to test everything, now we, get, now we test every change. Um, 
it, it get, we've, we've been able to, to give the developers uh, some control. I, I'm going to back up a little bit here because the story gets, the story's kind of rich actually here. Um, when we started off, day one, um, there's some unique things. You have, you have Amazon's uh, shared security model. So, so they're in control of their services and they get, those are accredited and, and we're allowed to use certain ones that, that meet our criteria. And in our case, it was kind of neat because we had this great, you know, we have a, a wonderful IT department that, that came through and, and took care of basically all the compliance piece for us. So, so on top of Amazon's shared security, then we have Raytheon's shared security piece, right? And so at the end of the day, what we're, what we're given as developers was basically an environment that we could just start developing in. So, so I'm not, not minimizing the, the, all that, that security work that had to be done, but on day one, we got to start writing code. And on day one, we had so many different people in, that, that had so many different opinions about how to do this that we just called them all together and we basically had a three-day hackathon. We put everybody in a room and, and we said, we're, we're going to figure this out, how we're going to start deploying. Just like Tom's story, you know, we, we basically went from, from zero to, to, to production in, in about three months. And we came out of that room in the, after, the first, after, the, after three days and we had a running environment. Um, we had the skeleton. We had the pipeline. We knew how to build AMIs. We knew what our EC2s looked like. We knew what our storage looked like. We had the Terraform code that could, that could deploy it. And so we started building on top of that. And to where we are today um, is, we is, is we basically have one of every type node that's out there uh, in the library and developers can pick uh, what environment they want to run against. They, they get to pick what version of the environment they want to run against. Um, and they, and they, get to, they, they get to uh, pick what nodes, you know, what, what machines they want in those environments. And every time it's, it's built, it's a fresh environment. Um, Another thing that, that coding all this has done for us is it allows us to take advantage of, of, uh, of EC2 instances as they change, as the pricing schedules change. Um, we're able to, to regulate on the, sort of on the back side of our code, you know, when you stand up that environment, which type of, of, of instance you're going to get. So we can continuously uh, uh, work those pricing schedules to, to bring the best value to our programs. Um, Terraform. We, we, you know, why aren't we using cloud formation? Well, we're not using cloud formation because this is just, this is a test environment. We run these nodes uh, on AWS for test. When they actually get deployed in the real world, they're deployed on VMware, they're deployed on bare metal, but it's the same code that we use to build on, on Amazon, we use to build on, on VMs and on, and on bare metal. And so, so what the hope is, uh, you know, where we're headed here is that the same, same Terraform code that I used to deploy on AWS, we used to deploy in the, in the virtual machines and, and bare metal machines. Our environments, as I mentioned, are, are both idempotent and ephemeral. Uh, they, they're, they're stood up for an hour or two, and, and, then, they're de and then they're deleted. Uh, but the next time you stand that environment up, it will be in the same running state as it was. So you get the same results every time. That's why I said, you know, it's about repeatability uh, and, and uh, uh, consistency. And then one of the lessons learned uh, was there was a real shock, you know, I guess we, we, we played with, with AWS quite a bit. And, and, but this was the first real t time that we really did something at, at large scales, you know, bigger than what we can kind of just grasp. And uh, it was a real eye-opener the first day that you go, you know, I can't just walk out to the data center and inventory what I've got running out there. I can't just go look at the blinky lights and, and know that that thing is good. You are totally reliant on your code at this point. You are totally reliant on the tools that you've got to tell you about your environment. And, uh, and so as, you, as I mentioned earlier, when you're spinning up these environments and tearing them down, you're left with a lot of artifacts uh, that, that maybe didn't get cleaned up right. You know, you got an EBS volume out there that's not attached to an EC2 anymore, but it's, you know, 
running against your charge number. Um, so we've got, we've got lots of, of code that, that basically just hunt and kills those types of resources. And so tagging is critical uh, to being able to do that, to know what environments are supposed to be up and running versus what's artifacts or things that, that, that should have been destroyed. And to constantly clean that up and to constantly tell you what your, uh, what, what your world looks like. So uh, that's our experience with, with, with this particular use case. Um, you know, there's many others that we can talk about, but, but that's, that's uh, sort of how we got there and why we're in, in, uh, in GovCloud. Thank you. Thank you very much, Steve. Um, so I think that's, that's uh, the end of our content here. So we'll open it up to the floor for any Q&A you might have. So if you have any questions for myself, Tom, or Steve, we are, we are here. And if anybody's actually raising their hand, I can't see. And if you're raising your hand, I can't see. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. I'll start. I have one. Um, so you talked about you have the unclassified controlled information. Mm -hmm. Uh, they just uh, believe that that region launched like a week ago, so that is that is out there. So yeah, so it's so that's it done. <laughs> Um, I'd say from the from a feature standpoint, um, what is in GovCloud is a subset of what's in the commercial regions, and our and our goal there is really what we call pragmatic parity. So, we launch generally in our biggest regions first. We launch generally in U.S. East and Oregon first, when we launch new features. And then when they come into GovCloud, it's it's largely based on customer demand. So we bring stuff in as as there's demand for it, and we have to go through the compliance wickets to get it so that you know the, the customers actually can use it once it lands there. So. Um, I don't think there was anything in, in Steve's session that you couldn't do in a commercial environment. The, the difference is that he's able to do it and actually meet all of his re compliance requirements. So really, I think the, the and you can kind of add to that, but um, I think that was kind of the, no, the, the core Everything that there. we did, you can certainly do and should do in, 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 in yeah. uh, commercial AWS. Um, I think the only thing that is a little bit unique is that we're sort of limited in the services, you know, in the, the palette that we can draw from. Uh, on on uh, on, on GovCloud, and, and that's you know it's just a matter of what services are have been accredited at what levels, and 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 since then you know more and more services are coming online all the time. We had a question here on the left. First one could be. Um, so we do uh, an Oracle pump. So the question is how we brought in you know, disaster recovery. Um, so we made uh, an early choice for the near term to limit ITAR data that's sitting inside of really our, our Delta cost point ERP platform. Uh, then we take uh, Oracle RDS, we basically pump that data, and then we're able to move it that way. Uh, and then we've got, we basically rebuild that then sitting inside of commercial. And if we need to, we have all the distributed file storage that's utilized to build up Delta cost point as an app that we move as well. Um, there, are, there are mechanisms to use, and we can talk afterwards to work through some of the details. Um, what you're limited is you can't use APIs to move data if it's ITAR. You could use them if it doesn't have ITAR. Um, but even then, as, um, as we talked about, there are some limitations that you have to overcome when it comes to connecting an AZ on GovCloud to an AZ that's on commercial. Um, so again, it's, it's sort of a manual process, and then we're working the scripts to automate it. So just every night, we go do basically a full database backup, but we dump it off into the commercial cloud. Uh, and then if we need to do a restore, we can go through that process. So worst case, we lose maybe a day's worth of transactions. That's acceptable right now for the business with the knowledge that we're going to see, you know, GovCloud East come online here. And then we'll just have natural redundancy within the environment. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have, I guess, 
Right. So I think uh, there's sort of kind of two-part question there, which is why did the GovCloud adoption kind of start slow and why is it picking up now? And then it was, um, you know, how do you think about the addressable market? So the first part was I think um, a lot of what happened when GovCloud launched, there was a core set of customers we had that were really eager to get in there and they were in there early and they were using the, the environment. But um, a lot of the customers that, are, that need this environment also tend to be the most conservative and risk-averse customers that were. So I think there was a lot of education around cloud and the security of cloud. You know, we've had a lot of, you know, I've been at Amazon for about four years. And when I first started at Amazon, we had a lot of conversations of, like, of data that, you know, customers say, I would never put data X in the cloud because I'm worried about the security. And, um, you know, there's a lot of conversations around, well, uh, help, let, let us help you understand exactly the way our security posture works so that you can be comfortable with it. And is that, you know, as customers have their, I guess, their um, IQ around cloud and how much control they really have has um, made them more comfortable. And as they've gotten more comfortable, they've come in more and more. So I, I think that's a lot of what's happening because I don't really have many conversations with customers around this is what cloud is. It's more of, hey, I need to really understand how I set up my networking and my security posture so I can do this, not, gee, I'm really thinking about doing this. It's how to how they make it. So the, just the conversations that I have with customers is very different. I, I think in terms of the addressable market, it grows. Um, it's, like you said, the, the uptick has gone, you know, it's going up really fast now. So the region is growing at a much ra more rapid clip. So um, that does a couple things. One is that, you know, as we said, uh, resource or demand drives service uh, adoption in the region. So as we have customers that are demanding more and more services, that brings us more, that brings more in, which also then brings more, more people to the party. So that helps us with the, you know, the idea of, you know, if you're trying to integrate with other customers within that ecosystem, um, you know, that's, you know, that's all happening uh, very quickly nowadays. So the region is growing at a, as a, and compared to other Amazon regions, it's growing at a, at a very rapid clip. Uh, not off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't, I don't have any, any hard numbers off the top of my head, but it just in terms of the way we see the market growing, um, you know, the, the, the region and the environment growing, it's, you know, in terms of the, compared to other regions, it's actually growing much faster. It's smaller, but it's growing much faster. Yeah, and I, I can give you one more point. I think we got a question in the back. What I've also seen is when you look at maybe the continued move towards outsourcing and even offshoring some services, um, you know, sort of my case of FOCA mitigation aside, that's happening while you're starting to see contract modifications coming in mandating this state 171 compliance. And so you have this, this sort of shifting point of increased focus on regulatory compliance from federal government in particular, additional focus on standards for PCI DSS. Um, and, and so I think that also has now started to hit a tipping point where it makes sense to maybe layer in Amazon GovCloud or similar FedRAMP-capable uh, services into a stack so you can still gain some of that leverage. And, and so that's what I've seen in, in sort of experience. I know we're going to deal with that a broader corporate level as we look at the compliance footprint we have to maintain. Okay. We had a question in the back? Yeah, you mentioned earlier that there was a corporate vetting process to uh, get an account. Is there a ballpark lead time for how long that vetting process takes? Uh, it usually happens pretty fast. We can usually turn it around in less than 24 hours, typically. And another quick question, is there a pricing parity between commercial and GovCloud, or are there significant differences in any of the services? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> okay, GovCloud costs us more. You know, the way Amazon's pricing policy works is we basically run a pretty low margin business, and we do it based on what it costs us. So to do the U.S. persons on U.S. soil and the, you know, the, other, the extra compliance hurdles we have to do, it costs us more to deliver GovCloud. So there is a, a, a cost delta it tends to be, depending on the service, you know, a lot of it's 20 to 30%, some are more, some are less, you know. Um, but um, that's generally what you see is it does cost more to deliver the, the service at this level. So um, it, it does cost a little bit more. Yeah. Yep. Question on the right. From the commercial AWS, yeah. uh, what one or two services would you like to see in GovCloud the most? Uh, for me, it's analytics. 
Um, so catching up on the analytics side would be big for me so I can continue to put more and more data in and even look at AWS as a platform where I can pump non-AWS data into GovCloud and use that as my core analytics platform. Uh, and I've got a second one, uh, which is I also have a Salesforce uh, GovCloud footprint. And so being able to integrate a Salesforce org running on AWS GovCloud um, into my AZ so I can start to get that nat native flow of data. Um, so those are the big things for me. So really about unleashing the value of that data. Tough question. <laughs> uh, so, so in our use case, it, it's you know we don't have an out, outward-facing presence, uh, so it's it's a lot of internal. So, uh, as good as the management tools are, I would like to see, I would like to have better you know better analytics, better uh, sort of prepackaged interpretation of that data. It's a lot of data um, uh, that sometimes you have to have to fish for quite a bit. Um, and uh, you know, just just more the more the services that allow us to, to architect our solutions better. You know, the, the database service, this is, uh, the, the the bulk data uh, ingest services, um, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to, to see some of the some of the new services that are scheduled for next year to come online. So. Oh, there's a question right here in the middle. The uh, question was, is the GovCloud orchestration layer different from the commercial cloud? Um, by and large, no. Um, there, are, there are some differences in you know, service, services that, um, you know, feature, as features come out, you know, they, they, they um, as I said, we tend to release them in the commercial environment first and then migrate them into GovCloud. And um, so things like CloudFormation or even like we talked about Terraform, that generally works the same in GovCloud as it would work in a commercial region. CloudFormation works generally the same. As I said, when we release new features to it, um, there is a delta in time between. That's not really just a GovCloud statement. We, we tend to release to U.S. We get spoiled in the U.S. because we release to U.S. East and, US, and Oregon first. The rest of the world, you know, they, they have the same issue. You know, they're like, when is it coming to our region? Um, so um, so GovCloud's in the same boat. Um, but uh, generally, no. Um, the 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 way the services work, GovCloud is just another region, and we, as I said, we tend to operate them the same because we really don't want regions to become their own little special snowflake just because of their compliance posture. Um, we want to be able to run to run at scale. You have to be able to have all that stuff really run the same across the board. Right here in the front. I take a little bit of both. The question was, is um, I had a slide up that had the, the compliance um, standards that uh, GovCloud's uh, accredited against, and how much of the adoption uptick is because of that versus you know, their, their IQ basically raising. I'd say it's both because um, we actually have adopted a kind of a procedure now when we migrate new, new services into GovCloud. Um, a lot of times, you know, we, we move stuff in, and then customers go, great, it's there. Now, where's FedRAMP? You know, because i got to have that. You know, some there's a portion of our customer base in GovCloud that the, when you bring a new service in, they can't touch it until it's FedRAMP compliant. They just can't, right? Um, so, um, uh, you know, depending on what you're doing, you might not be, you know, some people can and some people can't. So we actually, when we bring new services in, we actually have a... Um, uh, kind of a you know a process to say okay when you're bringing in what's your plan to get FedRAMP and CGIS and you know those kinds of things so that so as we've gotten more and worked with the FedRAMP PMO and those types of organizations to speed that process up that's helped adoption but I think there's also just um, a recognition for even the core services that are out there and we're there from the beginning just how much you really can do with that um, as, as as people become more cloud savvy and you know un understand what what's different about running you know, virtualized infrastructure in your data center versus adopting a cloud infrastructure, the, the differences between those, they've, uh, you know, the adoption has definitely gone up. We see a lot more of the kinds of use cases Steve talked about where, 
heck, you know, I'm, I'm spinning up my environment, I'm running them for two hours, and I'm shutting them down. We see a lot more of that. You know, where I, if I have a, a big Hadoop job to run, I spin up a 100-node Hadoop cluster, I run a job for two days, and then shut it down. So there's a lot more of just getting more savvy about what, what elastic capacity really means yeah. to them. Yeah, question was, is, um, is um, when we say that we are FedRAMP high compliant, does that mean all services are? No, it does not. It, um, the, each service that comes on board, we have to run it through that process. So they have to get added to our, added to our accreditation. So as I said, I was alluding to that um, as part of our process now, when we bring services in, the service team actually has a plan for, okay, now once I get it deployed, I can now work the certification hurdles with it because you can't really do that till it's deployed. Like you can't test controls until they actually exist, right? You can't until they're there to be tested. So when they deploy, it's there and anybody that can use it or if you want to use it for dev test, you can use it. But a lot of our customers for production workload, you know, that's, 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 a, hard, that's a hard bar. You got to meet it. So is, is what it is. That's no different. Our commercial regions are the same way for most of our government customers too that have to go FedRAMP moderate even. Um, they have the same bar in their commercial regions. They really just can't use the services until a lot of them can't. Some can. Some will, you know, are a little more forward-leaning and they'll do their own risk assessments. But by and large, that's the that's the case. So the question was uh, for the AWS Quick Starts, is there a plan to expand more of that for, I assume you mean more in GovCloud? Yeah. Um, the answer to that is yes. And, um, you know, is, and part of that is enabled by the launch of uh, Marketplace earlier this year, which allows us, you know, the, enables us to get um, more third-party software in there. But um, in particular, the Quick Start that we have for the, the NIST Accelerator actually does have a GovCloud version. So yeah, we are definitely doing more of that. As, as the region grows and there's more demand for that, we are definitely, we are absolutely adding that to, uh, to, the, to the portfolio. Any others? Okay, well, um, thank you all for coming. I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your week at, uh, at reInvent and um, look forward to talking to you after if anybody has any other questions. Thanks.